I've called this, as you see at the top there, biblical mythbusters, and the purpose is to debunk, as I say, those those myths, those biblical myths that are believed by, and I say here, the big dumb of this world, with a reference there to uh, Samford and Son, which is why you have the little uh, the little picture there. Uh, what we talked about last week in relation uh, to this subject was uh, those myths that are believed. Uh, in the world today, quite quite common or popular myths as it relates to these two things, God's word and interpretation. We looked at three of those, uh, the first being that scriptures are simple enough that a child can understand them. And by that, uh, what they mean is, is I don't need uh, qualified or trained pastors to understand uh, my Bible. And I told you that <clears throat> part of this comes from the the historical uh, teaching of men like Martin Luther, who uh, held to what's called the, the doctrine of the, the doctrine of the priesthood of believers or all believers, which is a, a gross misinterpretation of those places in Revelation, which we took the time to look at last week, uh, as it relates to making us a kingdom of priests. Uh, that is a uh, those uh, places in Revelation where we see that uh, is an allusion back to where it is first stated, which is in the book of Exodus, uh, which doesn't refer there any more than it does in the New Testament to the idea that everybody in the uh, congregation or in the covenant community is somehow uh, able or equipped to be able to uh, interpret the scriptures for themselves. And yet that is uh, what Luther uh, Luther believed or taught, and uh, as well as many of the, uh, the reformers. Uh, when we address this issue biblically, when we look to the scripture and we ask that question, what we find is that the scriptures uh, are difficult, that there are passages that are difficult uh, to understand. That doesn't mean that they are unclear or that they're not uh, something that can be understood, but that there is complexity to them, which requires certain skills. And uh, those skills are something that God uh, says are uh, the property of those who have been trained and qualify as his shepherds. Now, I know that in uh, most churches that uh, those who are functioning in that capacity are in name only. They have not been trained or they have not qualified to be in that capacity, but that doesn't change the fact that this is what God uh, requires of those who uh, function at that level. And as a help to that, God gives those individuals who have been trained and who are qualified uh, the Holy Spirit in a very different way than he does uh, when we are first saved. And uh, this is scripture uh, is referred to as ordination. That's uh, how it is uh, translated in certain places. Uh, or the other word, anointing. There's an anointing that is given to these uh, individuals, uh, which helps them. They have the help, as we saw, uh, of the Holy Spirit, which then leads us into uh, that second myth. The Holy Spirit helps me to understand the scriptures. Not only do I not need uh, trained or qualified pastors, but I don't need anointed pastors. Uh, I have that for myself. And again, that coming from of that doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, but that isn't what the scripture uh, bears witness to, is this idea that we all possess the spirit for the purpose of interpretation. 
I would challenge you, and if you were not here last week, I all the more would challenge you to go back and to listen to what we talked about, but to find one verse in the New Testament, even the Old Testament as it relates to what's coming under the New Covenant, where it ever says that the anointing, this kind of anointing that uh, Moses himself, even in the Old Testament, says to God, I wish that all were anointed like us. I wish that all had the spirit in this capacity. Uh, I, I challenge you to find one place where it ever says that that's given to all people, rather than as it was always, something that was just relegated to those functioning in the priesthood, uh, which is what the role of the pastor is today. And so according to uh, Isaiah 66, 21. And so again, another myth, this idea that, well, I don't, I don't need pastors. Uh, I, the, the scriptures are simple enough. I can just understand them. And besides that, I have the Holy Spirit to help me do that. But that's not true. Uh, that's not true. The, the third uh, myth uh, that I think is troubling uh, because it is so popular today. I, I can't say that this was always the case, uh, even though there are uh, vestiges of this, even in the writings of Luther, uh, most especially as it related to uh, the papacy or the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but today, this seems to be very predominant, this idea that you are safer trusting yourself than another man uh, when it comes to understanding what the Bible teaches. And that's that idea of not sola scriptura, uh, the doctrine of sola scriptura or scripture alone, um, that we'll talk about a little bit later, but what we call solo scriptura. Again, this idea of me and my Bible and that I'm really the, the, I, I'm the best chance I have of understanding what the Bible says and ultimately getting to heaven. And, and again, as I said, that's, that's, that's a troubling to me, very troubling. Individuals would, would, would think that way. And I think just common sense and reason should lead us to that conclusion, besides what the scripture says about that not being the case. And I'd like to go through and just read what I, what I gave you last time, but I want to add to it just some additional qualifying questions. So in light of that, uh, this, this particular myth, you are safer trusting yourself than another man when it comes to understanding what the Bible teaches. Unless you've been trained and are qualified, believing that it is safer to trust yourself than someone else forgets that we trust people more qualified in a specific area over ourselves all the time. And, 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 and I say that because this, there, there seems to be no problem with that, but, but it's always, it seems that there's some suspicion when it comes to pastors, like, like, well, that's a guy that you, you can't trust. Now, to be fair, because so many men are not qualified at what they're doing, I, I understand that, but that, that doesn't mean that we, as I said last time, throw the baby out with the bathwater. We are trusting people in relation to very important things all the time. The foolishness of such a statement is thus revealed when people, uh, when considering its equivalent. It is safer to trust yourself than your doctor when it comes to medical issues, especially those which will determine whether you live or die. How many of us do that? And we have no problem. We go to the doctor and we, and we trust the doctor. Even a person we've never met, we don't know the person at all. And yet, because they're a doctor, we will trust them. And, and, and again, we have no problem doing that. And there's all kinds of fields where if a person is a particular expert in that field, we trust them. And I think really at the heart of it, the reason why people are so funny about this when it comes to the church or, or pastors is, is sin. 
It's really rebellion of a heart that is masked as something else. And what betrays them is this very fact, that they're trusting people all the time. Using, again, this, uh, uh, this uh, example of the doctor, why would you trust yourself, an untrained person whose medical ignorance far outweighs your medical knowledge, over someone who has spent countless hours in study and demonstrating their competency, whose medical knowledge far outweighs their medical ignorance? See, again, common sense tells us that that's, that's not the right call. Guaranteed, if your pastor has been properly trained, then the ratios of biblical knowledge to ignorance are similar, and the gap between you and him, equally substantial. Again, like the average patient in relation to their doctor. Hence the reason pastors were at one time referred to as spiritual physicians. It should also be mentioned that the scripture makes explicit those with the greatest potential for leading us astray are those who lack the proper training or qualifications to serve as pastors. So again, yourself, if you've not been trained in that way, and you're saying, well, my best chance of understanding the scriptures or getting to heaven is me. Well, the scriptures is explicit that it's not. That you have more of a chance of twisting the scripture to your own destruction than you do getting to heaven. So, some qualifying questions. Does this mean, and, and this first one is something that we, uh, we did talk about last week. Does this mean we follow qualified and trained pastors blindly? Are we talking about a blind faith where you don't think? Hardly. We must always be what's called Berean. Uh, but this connotation refers to taking a position of teachable trust and self-education, not distrust and suspicion. That comes from Acts 17 where it says that the Jews were more noble in Berea than they were in Thessalonica because... Uh, they were opening the scriptures to, to see that what Paul was saying was so. But it says just before that, they were eagerly receiving what it is that he had to say. They weren't suspicious of it. And it, oftentimes when I hear people use that term, it's this idea like you need to again distrust the one who's speaking to you. And that's not what the Bereans were doing in relation uh, to Paul. But they were again checking, which means not blind trust. This is why... You're going to be opening your Bibles. You're going to be looking at what it is that I'm teaching. And not just saying, well, pastor says it. It's, it's Some additional questions. Does this mean qualified and trained pastors can never be wrong or are infallible? No. doesn't mean that. When there is a disagreement, we should give them the benefit of the doubt since chances are far greater of us being wrong than them. Again, considering the doctor and the patient. We say to your doctor... They say, you've got whatever. You say, I, I, you're wrong. Okay, well, the chances of you being the one that's actually wrong are a lot higher than your doctor. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's probably the case unless you're a doctor. You say, well, I studied. Well, I, I went to Google. Uh, I, I can tell you, I, I'm not a doctor, but, but, I, but I, I can have an appreciation for something that is complex, like medicine, from studying scripture, enough to tell you that that is... It's incredibly irritating when people do that. And, and, and I don't expect necessarily this congregation to be that way, but, but the, what you don't know is the thing that's killing you. It, it's the fact that you found something little on Google without everything else there is to consider that, that, that makes you so dangerous. And this is that we've talked about before, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Because your understanding is so limited, you now believe yourself to be the expert. You think that's all there is to know. And, and we don't want to do that. We need to instead be like, 
hey, look, if that if the doctor says I'm going to at least give them the benefit of the doubt, does that mean I don't ask questions? No. Does that mean I don't look up what they're saying? No. It, it doesn't mean any of that. But at the same time, I'm going to say, you know what? There's probably a better chance I'm wrong rather than they're wrong, right? Right? This isn't about just being like, whatever they say goes. It isn't that. It isn't again about blind following. But again, taking a very different disposition toward that person. And God expects the exact same thing as it relates to pastors. It's what you don't mean. It's what you're not considering, that they are. That makes the difference. What about accountability? Or making sure that they bounce their interpretation off others before teaching them. Uh, I've heard this at least twice in my ministry here over coming up on 20 years. Uh, Twice I've had individuals say, I think you should bounce off your interpretations off us before you should have some kind of a committee that you go to before you actually do what you do. Well, pastors are accountable to their congregation for the doctrine and scripture establishes the church's courts for dealing with them if there is error and unrepentance. So if there is something wrong, by all means, I am accountable to you. However, uh, this is vastly different than saying they cannot operate independently or without first checking with the congregation as to what they teach. And so, again, a couple of questions. Does your doctor bounce his diagnosis or prescriptions off you before administering treatment? Is doctor like, I, I think you have this, but I, I'd like to get your, your, your medical opinion on it. Is that how it works? But parents, are you required to bounce off your ideas off your children before administering discipleship or discipline? Here's what I'm thinking, Johnny, but you tell me. Is that how it works? The proper question, therefore, is never, should we or shouldn't we uh, trust another man? But rather, who has demonstrated themselves to be the qualified and trained expert? Leaving your life in their hands will always be the safest choice. Hebrews 13, verse 17, for this reason, says that we are to uh, trust and submit to uh, those individuals as those who will give an account for us in how we uh, respond. Okay, well, that brings us into our new material. Uh, There is more than one correct interpretation of the Bible. Again, one of these things that you hear, right? People will say, well, there's there's a lot of different interpretations out there, right? We've all heard that, right? There's lots of interpretations. So you you tell them something from Scripture, and they're like, well, there's, there's more than one interpretation. Well, more than one correct interpretation? There may be many interpretations, that's true, Uh, But there is only one that is correct, that which is in agreement with God's original intentions. You see, that's how we need to respond to these uh, types of people. It's just like saying, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but they're not entitled to be right. And everybody has an opinion about what they think the scriptures are saying. But the only correct interpretation about what it's really saying is what God originally intended it to mean. We do not have the right to interpret the scriptures whatever way we want or to suit our own desires and then act as though it is still God's word. It is his words and therefore only the correct interpretation is his word. In other words, it's no longer God's word the moment we interpret it incorrectly. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 speak to the fact that we don't have the right to uh, to just interpret it whatever way we want. Second Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 20 and 21. 
knowing that, first of all, Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Notice that. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. In other words, what they wanted. But men spoke from God. because They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And there, what he's telling you, men spoke from God, meaning it was God's words, not theirs. They were merely the vessel that God was using to communicate his message through. Hence the reason we call it God's word. And so, again, according to Peter, the scriptures meaning exactly what God uh, intended, uh, what he means is vital uh, to, and, 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 and this actually goes back to what he says in the, in the verses prior, which I didn't read. Uh, I skipped over. So scriptures never allow people to make it uh, what they want or need. Uh, it to mean, it's not, again, as he says, their own interpretation or the will of man. But even prior to that, so if you go up to verse 18, we ourselves heard uh, this voice born from heaven, for we are with him on the holy mountain. He's speaking about Jesus. And he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What, what is he saying there? He, he's saying, look, uh, Scripture needs to mean what God intended it to mean uh, as the basis even for our identity as Jesus is the Christ. It's not open to whatever we think. And again, Peter is saying, this is the reason we know Jesus is who he said he is, because what he did and what he said was consistent with God's intention, with the correct interpretation of those uh, previous prophetic passages. And so again, is there more than one correct interpretation of the Bible? No, there's only one correct interpretation, and uh, what that is is what God originally intended for it to mean, which means we need to go back to using those tools, those hermeneutical tools, to determine what exactly that is, and those tools give us the ability uh, to do that. That brings us to myth number five. We cannot be confident about our interpretation of Scripture. Uh, this is, again, something that's become very common. Scripture is not clear. Those who persist, this is coming from Mark Thompson's book, A Clear and Present Word, those who persist in an appeal to clear teaching of Scripture face charges of hermeneutical naivety, entrapment in modernist assumptions, a lack of epistemistic uh, humility, or worst of all, an act of communicative violence. You can't be sure that's what it means, and if you say you are, it is merely a ploy to coerce me to accept your point of view. Despite a number of sophisticated explorations of the clarity or perspicuity of Scripture in recent decades, this doctrine is either ignored or derided by many. It seems scarcely credible and even absurd. No confession concerning Scripture is more disturbing to the church today than the confession of its perspicuity, or again, its clarity. Uh, people don't want to hear that, right? This is, uh, by the way, uh, maybe you've seen this. Uh, churches will take names that actually indicate uh, this particular view. Uh, names like journey or the journey. Uh, or, or there's, there's things very much related to it, like uh, the, the path or things like that. Those churches tend to be, the reason they're taking those particular names is because the way that they interpret scripture is that uh, it's essentially just storytelling. And my job as the pastor is to get up and just to take you through these various different stories, but not really, not really establish anything as truth because that's your job. That's part of the journey. And so that's not just somebody being wanting to be creative with a name for their church. That's actually telling you something about 
uh, their hermeneutic, how they go about really not interpreting the Scriptures. Though interpreting or understanding the Scripture is not always simple, as we just uh, talked about, it's oftentimes hard to understand. That doesn't mean we can't be certain about its meaning. Such certainty is attested to by the fact that we are commanded to build our lives upon it and understand it as the means to not only loving God, but receiving His blessings. Most importantly, the blessing of salvation. If God's Word were so unclear that certainty was impossible, then so also would be God's ability to judge or condemn us for not keeping it. A basic requirement of all justice is that a person have not only the ability to perform but also understand those obligations by which they will be judged. And so to say that we can't really be certain, well, God's certainly going to judge us. He's going to judge us by something that we really couldn't be sure about? That that's really what he said? See, that's incredibly troubling, if it's true. Again, go back to what I mentioned earlier. We're commanded, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus commands that we build our lives upon the Scriptures, that which is like the house built upon the rock, that is able to withstand the waves, the temptations and trials of this world, and make it ultimately to heaven, because that whole analogy there is in relation to judgment day. Well, how do I build my life upon something that is unclear? If I can't really be certain about what the Scripture is saying, how do I do that? And again, loving God. Uh, go over to, uh, turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 12. And this, by the way, beloved, this flows out of this idea of there's you know, many different interpretations. And so, and so what you'll get is they'll start there, right? You'll say, hey, uh, you can't, you can't do that. Scripture says this. Well, there's many interpretations. You say, well, there's only one right interpretation. And then where do they go? Well, we can't really be sure about what the right one is. See? Really? Well, do you believe that we need to love God? Yeah, we need to love God. Well, according to Mark chapter 12, verse 33, uh, to do that requires understanding. Notice. Jesus speaking about the greatest commandment uh, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding. How do I understand the scriptures if they're not able to be understood? They're unclear. The scripture as clear as something that even the Apostle Paul speaks to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, his word, of course, being written down as scripture to the Corinthians. And uh, he's the, he says this, for we are not writing to you, verse 13, 113, anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. Oh, well, uh, sorry, Paul, I guess you just didn't, you didn't get the memo. Nobody can understand Scripture. So how are we to do that? Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. 
that Paul here, speaking to the Ephesians, when you read this, read the scripture that I've written to you, this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. No, I can't. Scriptures are unclear. And what Paul's speaking to here when he says you can perceive it, meaning you can understand it, it's clear enough, is not specifically just what it is that Paul's writing, but how it connects to those things that were written in prior times, what he's called here the mystery of Christ. And so, can we understand it? Absolutely. At least that's how Paul felt. Psalm 119, passages that uh, I'm sure you're acquainted with, or at least this one in Psalm 119, Psalm 119, 105, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If the scriptures can't be understood, if they're not clear, shouldn't this read, your word is a fog to my feet and a mist to my path or, or something like that? Instead, the word that is used is lamp. And what do we use a lamp for? To light things up, to make it clear where it is that we're walking. A light to my path. Verse 130, Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. This is the whole basis of the, of the Proverbs. Proverbs 1, verse 2, very beginning of the Proverbs. Solomon writes, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. We can't write that if it's not possible to actually understand them. Jeremiah chapter 9. God says the one who boasts in him is to boast in this very thing, that they understand him. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Well, our basis for knowing God is through his word. And if I can't understand it, if it's not clear enough to understand it, then how do I do that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul there commends Timothy for being raised and learning the Scripture and, and, and says it's through the Scripture that we gain understanding unto salvation. And it's through the Scripture, verse 16, that, uh, that we correct and reprove. And we train in righteousness. How, how do I do that if what I'm using to do those things is unclear? Okay. On to number six. God's word is to be the only spiritual or moral authority in my life. And again, this is another aspect of this uh, solo scriptura. God's word is to be the only uh, authority in my life. Again, a common among evangelicals, right? Uh, you talk to them about the authority of the church, and what are they going to say to you? The only authority is God's Word. It sounds good on the surface, right? Um, but is it true? Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, uh, there's a big difference between saying something is our only authority versus something is our final authority. Only authority versus final authority. God views His Word as the final authority, but never the Christian's only authority. Authority is also given to the church and her elders, especially her anointed elders. 
When someone says that to you, if they say, well, the, well, the Scripture is uh, my only authority, take them to Matthew 18 and, and read to them those verses that you're familiar with uh, as it relates to how we deal with uh, disagreements or problems in the church. Uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or more uh, or take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That seems to communicate authority also in the church, does it not? And so the question you might ask me is you say, okay, so the scripture is the only authority you, you believe over the Christian. Uh, then who is it that he's talking about here do, that is doing the binding of the loosing? And why do we go to the church if the church is not an authority? You see, that makes no sense at all. This passage, by the way, here where you have this very authoritative language, tell it to the church, whatever you bind, whatever you loose, if two of you agree on earth and are gathered in my name, it will be done. There I am among you. Uh, all of this language is telling us that when the church acts in agreement with God's word, the final authority uh, here. Uh, uh, communicated as Christ's name. If you ask for anything in my name, right, uh, their authority and judgment is granted and backed by Jesus. There I am among them, or I am with you in it. Right? And so Jesus backing what it is that the church decide, uh, decides, and that those uh, acting, the two or three, include anointed pastors, is confirmed but by what we read in places like John 20, 21 through 23, where uh, this binding and loosing is given specifically to the anointed leaders. You know the passage. It's where Jesus comes and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And then he says what? what whoever you forgive will be forgiven. Whoever you do not forgive will not be forgiven. And we know that what he's talking about there is the binding and the loosing. Why? Because Jesus previously promised that this day would come back in Matthew 16 when he said, and I will give you, you the anointed leaders who are yet to be anointed because the breathing is that anointing before Jesus ascends back to heaven. But he says, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind shall be bound and whatever you loose shall be loose. And so what it's talking about here in Matthew 18 no doubt includes those anointed leaders with that kind of authority. Authority somehow independent of God's word? No, in agreement with God's word. Jesus says, when you do that, you're acting according to my name. And when you act according to my name, it's backed by me. Whatever you ask will be granted. And by the way, these two are very closely related. The idea of God or Christ's name and the word of God, their word is their name according to places like Psalm 138, uh, verse 2. There we're told that God has exalted his word even above 
his name, which means that when we hear a passage speaking about doing it in the name of God, what it's talking about is doing it in submission to or agreement with his word, because even his name submits to his word. His name is his word, or God is uh, what he He is known by what he says. By the way, that's what we're to be. Our reputation is to be based on what we say. Hence the reason James can say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so again, uh, is there authority in God's word? Absolutely. Is it the only authority? No. It is the final authority, but it's not the only authority. By the way, this understanding, Scripture is the final authority, but not the only authority in relation to spiritual or moral things, is the historical doctrine of sola scriptura. So not solo, but if you were to look up that doctrine and you were to read the history of that, you would see that that is what the Reformers were referring to when they talk of Scripture alone. They're not talking about it as the only authority, but as the final authority. Well, that brings us to this final point. This final myth. We are commanded to allow no one to be our teacher but Christ. We are commanded to allow no one to be our teacher but Christ. I'm actually surprised that I've not heard that. I don't think in all the 20 years I've ever had somebody attempt to use that. Um, And I, I wouldn't say it's the most popular thing, but if people in the world maybe read their Bibles a little bit more, they might find that passage and an attempt to use it. It has been used by others, meaning not people in this congregation, but in the world to say we don't need teachers. The only teacher I need is uh, Christ. And the passage that they use to support this uh, comes from Matthew, Matthew chapter 23. Uh, and I want to read those uh, the verses related to this to you, and then we'll discuss it a little bit more here. So Matthew 23, uh, verse 8, and then also verse 10. But you are not to be called rabbi, For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Verse 10, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, uh, the Christ. That that term rabbi means master or teaching authority. Hence the reason Jesus says you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher or one master, and you are all brothers. Uh, And verse 10, uh, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, uh, the Christ. And so on the surface, just reading that, it would seem like, Jesus is saying just that, right? Don't call anybody a teacher. Don't don't look to anybody or listen to anybody uh, but Jesus uh, himself. If, however, what Jesus means by such words is just that, never identify anyone other than me as your teacher or instructor, then the Apostle Paul clearly didn't get the message. Why do I say that? Well, if you turn over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this, For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Oh, Paul. I guess Paul didn't know that Jesus said that. You're not to identify yourself as a teacher. And yet he calls himself a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And as a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, he mentions that as one of the offices in the church. Paul, did you know that Jesus said you can't do that? 
not only that, go back to uh, our text in Matthew, Matthew 23 again. Uh, this time, looking at the verse in between those two, I read to you verse 8 and verse 10, uh, but in verse 9, the verse in between those, Jesus gives a similar prohibition about calling someone father. Notice. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Wow. I think Brianna calls Robert her father. Insane. Matter of fact, I think I think if I asked anybody here right now, who is your father? You're not going to say God in heaven only. The scriptures are filled with examples of saints, even God granting this designation to others. Take Exodus 20. One of the Ten Commandments: Honor your father and mother. Oh, I guess God didn't get the memo. Or in Ephesians 6, again, Paul, speaking about children, to obey their fathers and mothers. Again, quoting from Exodus 20. And there even also, in verse 4, talking about fathers not exasperating their children. Doesn't he know that that designation is reserved only for God? Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? You are to call no man your father on earth. So what is Jesus talking about in these verses 8 through 10? When he says, don't call anyone teacher or instructor or anyone father. What is he talking about? Well, what we just discussed. What we just discussed. He is prohibiting identifying a person according to either of those designations, teacher or father, in the ultimate sense of those terms, i.e. as the final authority in our life. In that respect, only Jesus as teacher and God as father are to hold those designations or distinctions. Makes sense, doesn't it? So the closing the challenge this morning, as we again consider this, and uh, hopefully this has proven to be uh, beneficial that you can think of people, but if you haven't or haven't taken the time, I want you to think about that this week as the closing challenge. Who do I know that believes some are all of the above myths? Who do I know that believes some or all of the above myths? What is our responsibility to those people? Those of us who know the truth. Well, according to 2 Corinthians 10.5, our responsibility is to tear down those myths, those empty thoughts raised up against the true knowledge of God and to take all thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. May we be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we've had time again to Consider this subject, and it is important. Uh, the Scripture has the foundation for everything that we do. If people have a wrong view of it, a wrong view of interpretation, uh, then we really don't have anywhere to go. And so this is the place to start with your Word and what people think about it, what people think about who it is that can help them to understand it or whether they need anybody at all. Father, give us uh, hearts that want to do more than just hear what we've heard here today, but to take the time to go back and to make sure that we're training ourselves and what it is that we've learned so that we have something to share, 
so that we can be effective in helping reach others with these things. Make it so we pray to the glory of our Savior, who we have a desire to advance his kingdom here on earth. Make it so we pray in Jesus' name.